Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, welcome back to the program. My next guest is orthopedic surgeon Dr. Chris Karish, former team doctor for the Cincinnati Bengals and currently a practicing physician at Central Valley Medical Center in the small community of Nephi, Utah. Chris joins me today to talk about the why behind what motivated him to want to fix broken bodies. And the $64,000 question, why would he leave what some would call the pinnacle of his career with the NFL to come to a sleepy little Utah town? All right, Dr. Chris Karish. Funny, your last name's not spelled anything like mine, but sounds exactly the same. You're right. Weird. Parish and Karish. Yep. When I, when I heard that you moved in, I'm like, ooh, maybe we're brothers from another mother. Two peas in a pod. Two peas in a pod, so. With nice lawns. With nice lawns, that's right. <laughs> so, tell us a little bit about what it's like being an orthopedic surgeon. Like, wh- at what point in your life did you say, Hey, I want to fix broken people. Yeah. Well, it actually clicked for me in high school, believe it or not. So it's been a long time coming. Uh, my grandfather was a big part of my life, kind of helped raise me. He's a general contractor. Well, he's 97 now, so he's not swinging a hammer too much anymore. But uh, he he built homes, built commercial properties, and he was always building stuff. And I'd go in his basement, hang out in his shop, and we'd have a good time you know, putting screws in wood and drilling holes and things. And and at one point in high school, I kind of told him, hey, this is pretty fun. I think I, I might want to do this. And he kind of sat me down and gave me some words of wisdom in terms of economies and markets and things I hadn't heard about. He said, you know, you're a smart kid. You ought to just invest in an education. Then you know you'll always have a job. And so at that point, I said, well, then I'll just let life figure out. I'll just go through high school and see what happens. And so I took a sports medicine class in high school and an orthopedic surgeon came by and kind of gave us a little spill on what he did. And, and he was using power tools on humans. And I was like, Oh, this is like my grandpa's job just on a different material. <laughs> nice. so, so I think this, this is something could work for me. So, so I uh, met with them and kind of talked about life and, you know, went uh, from that time after that class in high school, I decided that's what I was going to do for a career and stuck to it ever since. Doing construction on bodies with power tools. I think there's a lot of creepy movies that do something, things similar. Except they're not fixing them, they're breaking them. That's right. Right? Yeah, I get them after the movie <laughs> set's done. After the set's done, after the grossness is yeah. done. <laughs> okay, how long, how, long have you been, how long have you been doing it? Uh, so... Oh, gee, that's, it's been a while. Um, so I've been here in Utah practicing orthopedics for about six years now. Uh, prior to that, uh, you spend a number of years in training. So in medical school, you if you want to be an orthopedic surgeon, you kind of have to go out of your way to do orthopedic surgery things. It's not a, a typical core curriculum thing like your typical family practice medicine or or internal medicine or OBGYN stuff. So 
really, uh, you get a, a taste of it in medical school, but it really starts in residency. And so residency is typically a five to six year program. I did that out in Pennsylvania. And then then after that, I always had kind of a dream to, to go do sports and be a, a team physician. So we went and did a sports fellowship, uh, which is just additional training and minimally invasive surgery and kind of taking care of athletes and that kind of stuff. And we did that out in Cincinnati. And, and so all that's about seven years for me and then six years in practice here on my own and in Utah, it's been great. I find it funny that it's called a practice. Yeah, it's still practice. Medical practice or law practice, like you haven't mastered it. Yeah. Now, if I was to go get my house built, I don't think I would go to a contractor practicing. <laughs> I would want him to know, like, no, you're done. You you know what you're doing right now. It's it's just kind of that's my my literal brain. Yeah. Tearing apart the words like practicing, huh? Yeah. I'm just a. Well, that's true. I, they always said in residency, the worst time to get yourself injured or get sick is in July because that's when all the brand new interns are at the hospital. So um, there's some truth to that. You know, it's like with any career, you, as you learn, you grow, you, you learn from your complications, you learn from your successes, and you just become a better person, a better surgeon after going through those things. And, and that's just reality. That's life. So tell us about like the schooling, the, the, I think it's just the debt when you come, yeah. I hear doctors coming out of school and they're just buried in debt. Is that, was it, was that like that for you? Yeah. I mean, it's like coming, you, you get done with school and then you, it's like coming out with a, a large mortgage payment. And that was same for me and same for most that go through medical school and uh, you just work on paint it down over time, but, but it is, it's, it's significant. But Define re- significant. Let's just put it all out there. So most students are, are coming out with around $300,000 of debt nowadays, just in student loans. Yours, are you free now? Or have you been doing it long enough that you're free of that? Or you, <laughs> is close. it still? A, a, it'll a, be this year, this year, around. six years into it. And it'll be this year that we pay it off. But wow. you know, we took a, we, we took a pretty, substantial leap in terms of paying it down quickly and others others don't follow that mantra you know you it's a one of those debts that some just carry until it goes away 30 years later some some do programs where if you pay a a a kind of income-based payment throughout medical school and residency then after 10 years the government is supposed to help you pay off that loan if you work in a nonprofit type of an industry or a kind of a critical access area for for folks and you know and and that's a, that's a great way to go we just we just chose to to try to make ends meet in residency and not pay those payments and then just once we were out pay it off quick so did you have a like a natural head for this kind of th- the medical and the biology and the chemistry and all the yeah. Brainiac classes that, you know, one would call. I mean, yeah, for me, I just kind of was always drawn to that. Um, so it wasn't, I, wasn't a struggle? No. I, for me, going through college was I chose to do something that interests me, which was a biology major, and that kind of fed into medical school fairly easily. I kind of started 
my my education in in a different way because I thought I wanted to be well versed. So I started out in electrical engineering, and then I switched from that to finance. And then I met my future wife, and I decided, well, I can't be in school for forever. And so I switched to biology because a lot of the pre med requirements kind of fell within that biology degree. And you know, the human body just was interesting to me. We, you know, and that's that's not all biology. You know, you learn about ecosystems. You learn about, and in fact, one of my favorite classes was animal physiology. I thought that was really interesting. But you know, you get through it, and with the kind of your eye on the prize, and that was to get into medical school, which, which you know, worked out for me. Well, you said you know you're fascinated by the body. I, I was an EMT for a short while, and. The anatomy class was mind blowing to me. Yeah. To go in there and they said, "Get your hands in there," and you're sticking your hands inside the carcass and grabbing organs, and and it's fascinating. Yeah, that this whole thing can, and the fact that this thing can function for eighty years without—I I just think of the heart. Yeah, it never stops. Yeah, what machine never stops? There is nothing that can just run like that yeah that i'm aware of hey yeah, i it's 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 really unique the cool part of my about my job is that when you fix a bone or repair a tendon or you know reconstruct a ligament is the body incorporates and it heals things and it's just incredible what your body can do and how I, uh, i'm amazed at how long you can damage it you're in you know like with habits yeah and still just it continues to do its thing so tell us you what you were at you were in Cincinnati. Did you mention I don't think you mentioned that team you were with, did you? Yeah, so it was a fun time. We got to I got to work with the Cincinnati Bengals, which was a an eye opening experience. Seeing what a professional team is like, what it's like to be in a locker room, what it's like to take care of high end athletes and and just see their inspiring physiology, their ability to perform at elite levels it's just it's wild to be honest so you were you behind the scenes pit crew type of lifestyle huh yeah it's it's a it's a unique opportunity that that you get to have to meet people and that you know as a young kid you look up to these these athletes and these organizations and then to kind of be there and kind of see it firsthand ground level i mean these these NFL athletes are just absolutely enormous. When you're on on a field with them, or when you're on a sideline and and you stand next to them, it's just kind of it's intimidating to be honest. Because yeah, how tall are you? I'm six foot on okay. a good day with tall shoes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a, they're they're just incredible, incredible athletes. One of the unique things I was able to do is uh, take part of the NFL Combine, and that's where all the athletes are that are aspiring to, to become NFL prospects, they get invited. Uh, and then they have to go through this rigorous testing. And, and what you see kind of as a generalized lay person or as in the public is you, you see them do their sprints, you see them do their jumps and their agilities, and they get timed and they get kind of marked for, for their abilities in that. But what you don't see is what happens behind the scenes, which is some of the medical stuff. Um, these athletes come in. They have to get checked by every team physician of every 
organization. They have to have their arms and shoulders and legs and everything checked. And if there's things that aren't, aren't quite right, you know, they have advanced imaging like MRI machines just there at the combine and they get evaluated and it's, it's quite the process for those athletes. So how long were you with the Bengals? Just the one year. Just one year. Mm-hmm. And then you came from there to sweet little Nephi, Utah. Yeah. So, right. So my brain's like, all right, you're, you're like top of your game. I don't know. What is the top of, of your game as, as an orthopedic surgeon? What would that look like? I well, it's different for everybody. It's different for everybody. You know, I, my goal was to be a, a professional team doc. That's what kind of what I always thought I wanted to do. And after seeing kind of the behind the scenes of what that entails, it's tough on a family. It's tough to be gone on the weekends. It's tough to be at a stadium. It's, it's tough to deal with uh, really all of the personalities that are involved in a professional team. And for me, you know, I had an opportunity to stay and, and perhaps build my career further there, but I kind of had an introspective moment where I thought to myself, do I want to be at my kids' games or do I want to be at someone else's games? And that's what did it for me. So Nephi, how'd you pick that? Well, we, what what was it about? The reality is I grew up in holiday and I had an opportunity to uh, take a job in St. Mark's, uh, which is right where I grew up. Um, we also had opportunities at other places. You know, we we did our due diligence when interviewed at a number of different hospital systems and groups. But I got called by this recruiter who told me that I, he had a perfect job for me. Um, I really enjoy doing water sports. And he said, this place has a lake 30 minutes away from it that's absolutely beautiful. You can go water ski. You could go wakeboard and then go to work. It'll be just perfect for you. So I said, awesome. I know Utah pretty well. What are you talking about? And he said, well, it's in Nephi. Have you ever heard of that place? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I know where Nephi is, but I don't know what lake you're trying to sell me. And, and he says, well, it's called Utah Lake. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> and anyways, he, he got me laughing pretty hard because I had to explain to him kind of what Utah Lake was because he was from Texas and he didn't really know much about the lay of the land. But at any rate, I, I committed to just come down and meet with the administration. And after meeting with them, it was just a different feel. You know, it was like going home. They, they just were welcoming to me, my wife. They babysat my son while we interviewed and toured the facilities. And, and it was just a feeling, a feeling of, hey, this could be it for us. You know, we take care of real people and, and, and take care of, of people that really appreciate what you do for them. And, and have a staff that really is invested in you. And and so we kind of took a leap of faith, and, and here we came. So did the NFL players not appreciate what you did for them? No, I think they did. They, I mean, I overwhelming majority of them were fantastic people. I mean, just I personable, fun to be around. Um, some of them a bit cocky, as you would expect, but the reality is they were always typically grateful for for the things that you did, you know, and, and I, and I think that's pretty universal. You know, I, you, you kind of hear about the outliers, the, you know, the ones that have big egos and stuff like that. But my experience was they were, you know, it's they're just enormous kids. Yeah. 
They're know, monsters. They are. They but they but they have personalities. They're fun. They're good people. Uh, you know the unfortunate thing is sometimes you just hear about the bad stuff. You don't hear enough about the good stuff about about these athletes and what they do for their communities and. Well, the good the good ones, those aren't sexy stories, unfortunately. Yeah, and it doesn't draw headlines. And if you look back in the NFL, fifty years ago, forty years ago. Were the dudes this big then? Because they, I, they're like feeding them hay and gotten them hooking, hooking them up the wagons. <laughs> and these these guys are just ginormous. Is this some strange breed of human that's that's oh, I just growing? Think, or what, I, what is I, it? I think what you just see is is you just you see competition now. Just it breeds the best of the best, and you you can't make the NFL just being good at playing football you have to have god-given talent and be committed to football and be just gifted beyond what most natural people are and i just think that's what you've seen i mean the reality is when it's a multi-billion dollar industry that you're you're feeding into you know over time it's just you you get the the enigmas or the i don't know the right words for it but you're the prodigies. You get the prodigies. You you know you can't just be an average Joe and make it to the NFL. That just is not, not reality. Not reality. Yeah. In in doing surgeries and fixing bodies and be, looking inside of bodies and just for the sake of those listening, I didn't know you too well until I mean, we've been neighbors for five years or something like that, and until I tore my shoulder in a bike accident, and so you've you've seen. You've seen more of me than my wife has, I think. <laughs> You've seen the insides of me, yeah, fixing my shoulder. But being a man of faith, does this is what you do help you? Does it help with that? Yeah, I think there's. What's really interesting is when you look at the human body, how it functions. Like I, it's it's got to be something that has been created by somebody way more intelligent than we are, or just by chance, in my opinion. Um, there's some cool things. I mean, I work on bones every day. Uh, bone heals in a really interesting way. When someone breaks a bone, there's kind of two ways in which we our goals, if you will, to fix that bone. One is to take that bone, the two pieces, and compress the two of them together as, as tightly as we can with a plate and screws, just like you'd, you'd put two pieces of wood together to create a really tight joint, and the bone will heal across itself when it's being compressed. Another way to do it is to let the bone not be compressed and give it enough space between the two bones that the, the bone kind of wiggles. And it causes enough irritation and enough stress by wiggling that your bone bridges and fixes it. That's how a lot of kids fractures fix themselves. But the interesting thing is, is if you take a plate and put it on a bone and you don't compress the bone, but you also don't let the bone wiggle much, the bone doesn't heal very well. So it's like the bone needs stress to heal. You either stress it by compressing it together super tight, or you stress it by leaving it far enough apart that it has to wiggle and create a stressful environment for the bone to heal. And I think that's a lot like our lives. If we if we aren't actively stressed, if you will, in something that we're trying to get better at, we just don't progress. 
And I, it's for me, I always think about this and I think in my points in my life where I'm taking it easy and I'm just not trying to pursue something or I'm not trying to get better at something, you just, you stay stagnant. It's the same thing with your physical body. It's the same thing with your mind. It's the same thing spiritually. You got to be moving and you got to be stressing yourself a bit to learn and progress. If you, if you aren't doing that, you're just going to kind of be stagnant in any one of those categories, physical, emotional, spiritual, what have you. Yeah. And it's like stress by nature. We don't like stress. We like to be comfortable, but if we're in any of those too long, yeah, all right, you don't grow. You just don't. You just, that's a big fear. I think of a lot of people is like that I won't grow, that I won't learn, that I'll just be the same. Like where you see yourself in five years or what's your biggest fear is like not growing. Yeah. Being the same. Yep today or in five years as I am today. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Just resistance. It does make, you know, so many metaphors in what you do. Yeah. So tell me about some of your, like just your general perspectives on like the healthcare world. It, it, and like we, before we started this, we were talking about insurance and how insurance runs everything now. And do you feel like you can thrive and still grow as a surgeon in the medical world right now, or? Yeah, I think uh, you, you shouldn't find a surgeon who isn't doing just fine. You know, if they aren't doing fine from a, a personal or a financial standpoint, it just means that they've, they've overextended themselves or what have you. So like uh, from a financial world, you know, we we live in a country where we have the best medicine in the world, at least in my opinion. Now, we do it maybe differently than other countries do it and insurance companies and capitalism, however you want to take that conversation. I mean, the reality is the innovation that comes from the medical field is pretty significant, um, which makes my job fun because I get to use innovative products. I get to do things, I get to fix people that... 20, 30 years ago, they didn't have a product to fix those problems. And now we do, you know, and just like your shoulder, we're able to do that a lot less invasive now than we were able to do that 30 years ago. Well, just to, as a comparison, I tore my ACL. I think I ripped it clear in half in uh, high school in 1985. Yeah. So that, and funny enough, that surgeon was prior to working on me was the 49ers surgeon. Yeah. So my two surgeries have been with, you know, former big wig, <laughs> big shots like you. Yeah. But that was that required a a week long stay in the hospital, full leg cast for 3 months and then a brace for a year and uh, crutches and Yeah. Now you practically go through a freaking drive through. Yes. And get it done. I mean, but my surgery was, I was in and out, what, an hour? Yeah. Uh, or so. Yeah. It's mind-blowing, just that technology. Yeah, it is. It's it's neat. Um, but the direction of medicine, I mean, it's always it's always hard to answer questions like that because I'm, I'm somewhat naive in terms of, you know, options from insurance versus single-payer units versus different ways they, they do medicine. But... The reality is there's there's parts that we see that frustrate us. One of those is there just isn't um, there, there's not a lot of transparency 
when it comes to like being a patient. You know, what it, is it crazy to you that you go to my hospital, I replace your knee, and you go to a different hospital, you get the same knee replacement, for, but for whatever reason, the cost is significantly different between the two? Like Those things to me, I just can't wrap my mind around that. I can't wrap my mind around why one hospital pays less money than another hospital for the same product. It's just... Uh, is that a and, f- free market thing? It, it is kind of a free market thing, but that... It, it's hard to see the transparency behind it, you know? Like if you came to my office, and this is horrible to say, you come to my office and you say, hey, I need my shoulder fixed. And I'll say, great, I can fix your shoulder. And you say, hey, how much is this going to cost me? I was going to say, I have no idea. And I and that's how the majority of physicians across the country would be. They We, we are just probably at a fault, completely naive at the cost of medicine. You know, we want to take care of patients. We don't want to sit and figure what it's going to cost you and all this kind of stuff. Would it change our practice if we knew that information and we did our research? It probably would. I said, hey, Brian, I've got this product. I can put that in your shoulder. Or I've got this other product that's pretty much the same thing, but it cost me $1,000 more to put that in your shoulder. Which one would you choose? You'd say, well... If the other one works just as well. Let's just go with the one that doesn't cost as much. It's like going to the Napa Auto Parts and yeah. just give me the just give me the cheap one. Yeah, it works right. But the reality is, like I, as a surgeon, I and most surgeons, we don't we don't deal with that. That's dealt with a different billing department. That's dealt with a different different side of things. We go into medicine because we want to help people. We want to fix people, and and unfortunately, part of medicine is is that other side. It's that. That insurance, that financial side that can really be hard on people. Well, and interestingly enough, I went to Intermountain Healthcare after I had the accident and was told, Oh yeah, you're 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 fine. You can just I think he, he didn't use the word therapize, but I you could yeah, just therapy, that'll be you'll be fine. And then you looked at it and do you remember what the difference between what he told me and what you do you remember that far back? Uh, well, I, I, I remember your injury really specifically. So, I mean, in, in technical terms, you had what we call grade five, uh, AC joint separation, which in the majority of surgeons you talk to, um, would address that surgically when the collarbone's just kind of sitting right underneath your skin. That's typically, we don't like to leave it that way. There are other forms of AC sprains or separations that we leave, but that type um, kind of, as you know, as we compared x-rays and showed you the distances, it's kind of, it's one that should have been fixed. And, and yeah, that's interesting that they, and I wonder if it was, you know, I guess I tell people, yeah, do your research, get a second opinion, second or third, because if, if yeah. I wouldn't have, I'd still be looking like a Quasimodo over <laughs> here with this thing sticking out because there's no way that I could have got that. It would I mean, it yeah. still sticks up a little. Well, I mean, I think but, you, you bring up a good point in that, like, as a patient, you've got to have some responsibility for yourself. I tell a lot of my patients, hey, I'm, I'm telling you, I think you would benefit from a surgery. However, it's not unwise to go see another surgeon and get their opinion. If the two of us tell you two very different things, then you really ought to seek a third opinion, and you really ought to take care of your own health care by making an informed decision. You know, don't put your all your eggs in one one basket. Another difficult thing about medicine is is you go see a medical professional. You assume 
that all medical professionals are the same, but the reality is we're not. Right. Um, and and it's you got to do your homework, to be honest. Well, and we put so much trust. We put so much trust in that white coat. Yeah. And and I saw on social media, I see these interviews with a doctor talking about some health thing. Or if there's a doctor being interviewed on TV, he's always got the white coat and the stupid stethoscope around his neck because that's like the symbol of trust. Yeah. It drives me crazy. But we just like, yeah. Saw it on, he must, yeah, he's got a stethoscope and his name on his white coat must be legit. When in reality, it's not not so much maybe. Yeah. And then in training programs, you know, very widely in terms of the type of training that you get. So I, I just tell people, just do your homework, you know. Come see me if if you and I get along really well and and we make a surgical plan together. You know, it's still not unreasonable to go to see somebody else and get their opinions about it. I totally welcome that. But that means it, you're not a salesman. Yeah. Uh, well, I, and the downside is there's a financial drawback to that too. Yeah. That means you got to go see someone else. It's sometimes not easy to get into physicians. and But the reality is is you, you want to be comfortable in two things. One, you want to be comfortable that your surgeon's competent. But then the second thing is you want to be comfortable that you've done your own due diligence. Um, because I'll tell you what keeps me up at night more than anything else is knowing that I could take someone to surgery and they could wake up from a surgery and not have the outcome that they had hoped for or that they desired. I mean, you have 99 great outcomes and you have one that didn't go the way that the patient wanted it to go. And that's the one not, that's the one you think about. That's the one that keeps you up. Do you let people know that every time you're consulting with them? Yeah. That, Hey, this is how I think it's going to go, but it's nature. It's the body. Yeah, I think I you have predict. to. I think you have to spend the time so that people have realistic expectations. I think, you know, we have, for example, some of the unique technologies in orthopedics right now is robotic surgery. And and I do robotic knee replacements, which I think are great. I think it makes us a bit more precise. But the reality is your outcome with a robot or without a robot can be exactly the same. And I get a lot of people coming to my office because they're seeking out robotic uh, surgery. And I just have to lay it out with them and and let them know that, hey, this is a unique and awesome technology. It doesn't mean you're not going to hurt really bad after surgery. And the perception is, well, it hurts less and it's quicker recovery and all this, but the reality is that you still got to open a knee wide open. You still got to put implants into the knee. You got to resurface the bones, and, and the reality is it just simply hurts. No matter what creature's doing it, yeah, right? a robot or you, I'll, you know. And I'll occasionally have second opinion folks that will come see me after someone else has done a a knee replacement or a shoulder replacement, and. They come to see me and they think something's wrong, but the reality is they're just, you know, two, three months out from surgery and and you're just still healing. It still just hurts. I mean, it, and I just have to reassure them, you know, things things were done correctly. You just don't didn't have your expectations laid out for you. Right, right. All right, what is the 
the craziest injury you have seen? Well, when I trained out at Penn State, that that was the uh, the highest uh, it was the highest level trauma center in the state. So we saw what they call injury severity scores. So they had really high injury severity scores in the trauma that came in. So we'd see kind of the most broken people you you find and and um, and you fix them as best you can. We had one gentleman that was he. Uh, he got drugged basically behind a bike and and took off all the skin from his backside down his one of his legs and had broken multiple bones and had kind of what we call an insensate foot. No no feeling in the leg, no function in the leg, but he had this huge open wound that went all the way from his backside. So uh, what we did in combination with our plastic surgery team <clears throat> Because we took his entire leg and shelled all the bones out of it, used all the soft tissue to cover the big defect on his backside. So we basically bent his leg around, used all the skin and the muscle and soft tissue that didn't have sensation and covered all the backside that goes from all the way back down his pelvis. And and uh, that was pretty crazy, but it worked. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was a unique situation and sometimes you have to think outside the box to help people live and, and survive. And, and that, that gentleman's able to walk with the prosthetic now. Oh, so he did, he lost the leg. He lost oh, the leg. Okay. Yeah. And then you just it. I mean, the list goes on. Just people just come in broken in the worst way, you know, and and you feel sometimes you feel detached. You know, I saw a lot of people die um, while I was in residency in the trauma bay. You know, times where the the general surgery or cardiothoracic trauma team would open a guy's chest, and you you know, as an intern, I remember it was my responsibility to 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 grab this guy's heart that they cracked his chest open and massage it. You know, and the reality is they were trying to get me exposure. They knew the guy wasn't going to make it, but they wanted the intern to kind of have that experience of seeing somebody opened up from the front, you know, and hold a heart in their hand. And, and they were having you squeeze to, it to kind of help almost try like to, try CPR. To, yeah. Ish. Try to keep circulation going. And of course it didn't end up working. The guy passed away, but I mean, there's just experiences you're exposed to. And that kind of intense training that that you'll never forget. Yeah, that's a powerful. Yeah. You know, you get someone's heart in your hand. Yeah. And that's and that's as an orthopedic resident, right? I mean, I'm not going into medical training wanting to deal with hearts. I want to deal with bones. But we get a lot of generalized training in that first year, and so we got exposed to a lot of things, which is which is kind of neat. Is every you you hear textbook this is a textbook procedure or but i'm guessing that everyone's different in its own right yeah everyone is different and everyone responds to pain differently too that's what i've i found knee replacements are great because it is kind of cookie cutter if you want to say that you know we we realign your bones we we resurface the bones we put implants in and it's fairly similar from patient to patient with some variation, but the reality is everyone responds to knee replacements so differently. There's some people at six weeks that are walking and are, are loving life and think it was the best thing that they have ever done. Then you see people 
that are six months into it and they still hate their knee replacement. And it takes them a year, it takes them two years before it kind of gets better. And for some people, it's uncommon, but for some people, their whole lives, they, they have a knee replacement that they don't love. Perhaps it's better than it was before surgery, but it's not what they wanted. Those are the things that keep me up. I, you know, I worry about those people and I think about those people a lot because I, you know, part of me thinks, did I hurt them? Right. Versus, yeah. Versus just, or did I help them? Yeah. 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 For sure. In terms of like people staying healthy orthopedic wise, you know, other than, Hey, stay healthy, eat right, get exercise, put stress on your body. How, how can people, how can people not come to see you other than, you know, Hey, don't get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> but how, how do they just be healthier and, and, well, a part of a part of so if we take osteoarthritis, which is basically the wear and tear of your joints, cartilage that gets bad, you hear people say, "I've got bone on bone arthritis. What do I do?" The reality is, a lot of that is genetic. Uh, at least a, a good portion is genetic. But the things that we can do to prevent pain and improve our lives is to stay strong. And so, you know, I get a lot of people that come into me and say, you know, I played sports my whole life. I've been runner. I've been super active. That's why my knee is shot. I get that all the time. But the reality is those things actually are protective. When you build muscle and you keep muscle, that's going to keep your joint offloaded. It's going to keep your, your joints functioning better. So my advice to people is to build muscle. And if you can do that, uh, without the whole ground and pound thing, you know, running may not be uh, the right thing for everybody, but certainly doing resistance training, I think is the best thing you can do to keep your body young. Forever. Yeah. As long mm -hmm. as you can, as long yeah. as you can resist or lift something or push yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I, I look at, there's a, a, an older couple in our neighborhood. They're the same age as my dad. But they look 10 years older, 10, 15 years older. And he's just been active his whole life. He's 82 and he still works on his heavy equipment, his backhoes, and his, he runs a chainsaw. He hikes yeah. just because he's always done this whole life. He's just been physically active. And so that's probably why he's will live till he's 100. Yeah. And these this other couple, they're, they just look hammered. Yeah. And, and who knows? I mean, it's again, he can't compare one person to another but I, my guess is there's some you can compare some physical activity to yeah, no physical activity kind of like the conversation we had earlier it goes back to you you've got to stress you've got to stress your body to progress whether it's physical emotional spiritual you know you've got to be active you got to be you know fueling those things and if you do that, you're just going to last longer in all of those categories. Okay. Well, as we're wrapping up, is there anything that I haven't asked you about this grand world that you're in, this industry that you're in, this career that you have that you want people to know about? Well, I, you know, I think I've got one of the best jobs in the world. I just, I, I love to see someone come in hurt and, and have the opportunity to, be a part of their lives and, and see them get better. Like there's, it's just, it's really cool to see that, you know, I'm good. Be a healer, be a healer and a carpenter at the you, same you're time. You're a healer and a carpenter. Yeah. You're like Jesus. Well, let's say that <laughs> <laughs> I, I strive to be 
close to one, but I, I will, I, I, you could not put me in the same. Well, I just did. Same sentence. So you are. <laughs> so you're just going to have to take it. It's my show. I can, <laughs> you I can, can say, say what that. you want. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Chris. I appreciate you coming to share this. It's been fun uh, talking to you about this. It's been fun getting to know you over the last few years. And thank you for fixing my shoulder. Yeah. It still works. It's Nothing's, good. nothing, it's just, you know, still there. I can still wave with both hands. Well, so you did good. Next time we get in a boxing match, at least I'll know which one to stay away from. Or or hit. Or hit. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's a little you know, sore spot there. Let's just poke on that. Yeah. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening to the Parish to Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com slash feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. You're still here? Click on the next episode for more from the Paris to Thought Show.